just leadership is leadership. It's that you can't compromise. It, 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 it can't be stopped. And particularly in moments like this, leadership is even more in need. Hey everyone, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and as always, I will be your host and bartender today. I'm sharing a drink this episode with Kate Bullis, co-founder and managing partner at SEBA International Executive Search. And what's fascinating about Kate is that she specializes in placing growth leadership roles, so specifically CMOs. And trust me that her pulse on what's happening in the evolving world of B2B SaaS CMOs is unmatched. So I was scrolling through LinkedIn when I came across a post by Kate that was examining the state of executive search since the pandemic began in March. And to be honest, my expectations were fairly managed in what that research was going to reveal. But I was delighted to see that guess what? The outlook is far from bleak. I knew it was my responsibility to bring just a little positivity to you guys right now, so I invited Kate on the show to discuss what her research uncovered. So grab a drink, join me and Kate as we examine the current state of executive search. Hi, Kate. Welcome to SAS Half Full. Thanks so much for joining me. I have mixed up a Moscow mule for today's conversation. We did send you a Jala back mocktail kit. Are you joining me for a drink today? Can, can you hear my ice cubes? I can. I would never let you drink alone. Thank you. What a, what a gal. I definitely have had other guests on here that did make me drink alone and I don't have any shame in that. So super excited about the conversation. But before we dive in, I do want to get a little background on you, Kate, and also the speed dating version of what SEBA International does. So can we start with that? Of Give us a quick overview of uh, your organization. Certainly. Thank you. So I'm a co-founder at SEBA International. We are a 20-year-old executive search firm, and we specialize in just two areas. One, finance and risk. So we help our clients with risk leadership and finance leadership. And the other side of what we do is sales and marketing. Um, and I lead the practice here. So the vast majority of the search work I do is chief marketing officer, chief revenue officer, and the like, the teams that support those executives. And a majority of my clientele are technology companies. What makes you so passionate about these types of roles? And how did you get so specialized in that specifically? So I started my career in executive search, focusing on strategy helping clients place heads of, say, strategic alliances, strategic planning, corporate development. I worked very often with uh, strategy consultants and moving them to the corporate side. And in the course of doing all of that work, I started working with technology companies that needed uh, my help in other areas. And so in the, say, late 90s, Companies like Cisco Systems were just booming, as you know, and my work helping them in strategy moved into marketing and sales. And just dipping my toe in the water in those areas really got me interested. And marketing in particular caught my attention as this uh, hyper-evolving function. And frankly, that was about 15 years ago, and I've never looked back. Marketing is so fast moving and has changed and grown so much and continues to do so 
that I've been hooked ever since. Something that I came across was a initiative that Kate and I, I think it was some friends and contacts as well as maybe your partners, but they wanted to dive into what does search look like right now, given the current landscape. And so right. you guys decided to survey more than 20 search firm owners and practice leaders. So mm-hmm. tell us what you uncovered. Yeah, I was actually really delighted. We're, we're talking specifically about this this moment in time that we're, we're dealing with around COVID. When things got really hot in this, in this time around March, we started to see some changes personally at SEBA in terms of our client reactions. And I wanted to know really if we were the only ones, particularly because I think everybody sees so much doom and gloom in the market. That's real. There's no doubt that obviously we're we're hurting as an economy. But as far as hiring is concerned, when you get to the executive level, what we found after having these conversations with other search firms was about 70% of executive searches still moving ahead, searches that were open prior to, say, March, were still open in April and May. They, They hadn't been canceled or shut down. So there were about 25% or so of search work was on hold, but a good 70 to 75% was still ongoing and all systems go. And I think that's the kind of stuff that we don't hear about in the news. And I think that that's important for you know everybody in your audience to know. Just leadership is leadership. It's, you can't compromise. It, it, it can't be stopped. And particularly in moments like this, leadership is even more in need. I'd also say that the the continued good news is we continue to see searches open. And that's not just our firm, but many of those 20 or so firms that we polled had opened new searches since March 15th. So I think that all of this is to say it's not fabulous out there, but it's not dire either. Leadership is always in need. And that's one of the also reasons I wanted to have you on is because that struck me, right? That 70% number that those searches are still moving ahead because it, it certainly doesn't diminish the anxiety and the pain and the anguish that that everyone's experiencing in different ways, right? But I do think it is important to highlight the positives that are either still happening or positives coming out of this as a result. So when I saw that statistic and I saw that it was sunshiny, I wanted to make sure that we shared that because we do need to hear this stuff, right? And I do give you guys kudos for coming together with your peers, other search firm owners that could potentially be competitors, but just saying, let's come together. What are we seeing so that we can motivate the market and let them know that there are searches and executive business hires moving forward? So thank you so much for that. Well, yeah, and you and I and I would also add, please allow me to add the conversations that I had with these other search firm owners. These are firms around the country. This is not just in one region. Uh, this is literally coast to coast as far as Canada and Mexico. So I, I do think that that is an important, you know, addition to the good news. Absolutely, and I know that you. You specifically at SEBA, as well as the other firms that you talk to, both B2C and B2B companies and, and looking at their executive searches. Were there any any specific trends that stuck out B2B versus B2C that you noticed? Yeah, and it probably this probably wouldn't surprise you. What we saw was the most immediate impact and therefore the most immediate reaction by B2C companies. 
as you can imagine, you know, retail, travel, these industries were very immediately hit. And so we saw a more dramatic reaction in terms of things like, you know, impact on staffing and impact on hiring for sure, more so on the B2C side than on the B2B side. I am curious, and I think there's something that you guys looked into as well. I mean, we hear over and over again, whether that is how do you work from home in a productive manner? How do you manage e-learning? How do you do video conferencing with you to 20 different people? You keep hearing that there's no playbook for this. Insert this, whatever that is, but during this time, and, and that's true. But as a country, we have been through other recessions. Do you have some insight on how the best companies historically have reacted and recovered during those times? Uh, yeah, and, and there have been you know many studies done on this, Harvard, McKinsey. You, you can go to all of these places and, and look. I think that probably the thing that we have to keep in mind the most is reacting is one thing. Reacting well is another. So there's such a thing as reacting quickly, of course, moving quickly, um, expediently, these companies tend to, to win. But more specifically than that, it's the companies that do the best, I think, are, are seeking efficiencies, not just cost reductions by blanket motions such as staff reduction across the board. It really, it should be thoughtful. In fact, the best companies don't just seek out operational efficiencies by perhaps making some staff reductions and perhaps reducing hiring, but also implementing uh, digitization and technology. Surprise, surprise. Seeking out efficiencies uh, of, of antiquated systems and processes is another great way that companies remain resilient. And then I would just say it's about being thoughtful about investing as well. So it's not just about cutting and tightening the belt, investing in things like R&D and marketing. <laughs> These companies tend to come out on the other side of recession the best. Yeah, it's interesting. We've been, I mean, seemingly overnight, we were forced into this digital only world, right? I mean, there was a lot of talk about digital first and that was digital forced and digital only. I mean, there there is no other way to connect, whether that is, you know, personally or professionally. And and we've seen that that too is companies who are who already understood the importance of investing in digital and that digital experience and also being closely tied to the emotion of and the pain points of customers prior to this time of sensitivity are are really thriving and continuing to do very well through this. So you mentioned the word resilience or resiliency. Have you seen any interesting examples of B2B companies showing this type of resilience? Oh, I, I think the poster child here, at least in the in the SaaS world, it's it's service now. They just they they can't do anything wrong, it seems. And 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 it and it can't just be because what they do for a living is COVID-19 proof because there are businesses that are, are doing better because of what we're going through now. And, and of course, that's understandable. But, you know, ServiceNow is, is a good example, actually, of what I just described. They aren't just cutting. In fact, they're one of the SaaS companies that announced that they refused to do any layoffs during COVID. So how are they doing that? How do they remain strong? How do they continue to grow? And I would point to the investments that they're making. They're not 
doing everything in marketing that they were doing before. They're just shifting their dollars to highly efficient, you know, better processes and procedures. They're also investing in their own technologies. They continue to invest in a platform as a service. They've released products and offerings since COVID started, all in the name of helping their customers. So they're a good example of a business that is finding ways to make the most of the opportunity and not just blanket cost cut, seek out efficiencies and continue to invest in the right spots. I'd like to switch gears to executive candidates now. What are you finding their current mindset is? Oh, it's interesting. We definitely have seen a shift in executive mindset just since COVID has started. When work from home really got underway in a major way here in the States, we saw executives really kind of go heads down, so to speak. Um, not super responsive and reactive to opportunities that they might have heard about. And prior to that, they might have said, sure, I'll listen. And now after COVID, they, they kind of uh, double down on their own organizations, feeling a sense of purpose, I'm sure, feeling a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm needed here and I don't want to take any more risk than I need to take right now. So I, I don't want to keep my mind open to opportunities. That was middle of March to the beginning of April. Since then, things have really started to open up. I think executives are starting to realize that opportunity is opportunity at a good time and a bad time. And opportunity is always a gift. Don't have to accept that gift, but it is a gift. And I think that what we're also seeing in this market is the companies that are hiring right now have to be taken very seriously. You got to take a look at a company that is hiring in this moment and ask yourself, what are they doing right? Why is this a need? And should that be something I pay attention to? And I think so I'm seeing a kind of an opening of the minds and people saying, I'm listening again. Do you find that candidates are uh, weary of companies that are hiring right now and saying, can, you know, should they be? Can they be? How stable are they? Are those questions higher on the consideration list now? It's, it's a valid question, of course, and I, and, I, and I have received it. But I would say that in every case in my personal uh, experience so far, where a company is hiring right now, whether that be a search that was on prior to the beginning of all of this, or a search that's just been launched since, literally, COVID has had nothing to do with it. So outside of COVID. It was a leadership need because the company is growing and we need more octane or the company is shifting and we need a transformation leader or we've decided to shift our you know strategy and focus on this and we don't have somebody who's expert in that. Th those are all things that people should pay attention to if a company is healthy enough to say we are hiring. In the end, it's it's something that you, you have to really pay attention to in this market. For companies that are looking to hire high-level marketing leaders right now, do you find that there are like new or different qualities or job requirements that have entered into consideration that they're looking for in addition to the other maybe qualities or char characteristics of the past? You know, it's interesting. And I personally haven't had any clients say to me, Kate, I, I want to launch this search, but now that we're launching it in the midst of all this, I think we need to be more you know, thoughtful about wartime leadership and, and what that means. I've actually had 
conversations like that with my clients, though, saying, you know, given this moment and this moment will pass eventually, but given the moment that we're in, should we be thinking qualitatively about any any skills that you'll be seeking uh, that do give you more uh, just a, a sense of comfort that this person will be as effective in growth mode as they are in survival mode. And, you know, it's it's always an interesting conversation to bring up because clients say, yeah, it's a good call. You know, I think that people who are just beginning to hire now are thinking about just getting through this this next 18 months, but then come out on the other side growing. We have to just be thoughtful of people's mindsets, the employees, not just the customers. And so when we talk to our clients, for example, in, in marketing search work about wartime leadership, we're asking them, how important is it that this person have growth capabilities versus customer engagement and experience capabilities? We've got to hold on to every customer we've got in a market like this. Let's keep them happy. Should we be focusing on that a little bit more than in the past? Or, and that would be a quantitative thing. On the qualitative side, is this person a, a, a charisma person in growth? Are they a candor person in wartime? I think candor in wartime trumps charisma. <laughs> not, that candor is not, not that candor is not important all the time. I just think in wartime, we're not trying to be everybody's favorite. We have to be highly communicative and really help employees, customers, ecosystem all know where we are and what we stand for and be really crisp about it. So those are some examples of what we are talking to our clients about and how things might shift if temporarily, but hopefully very temporarily. But yes, we are talking to our clients about that. No, that's great advice. And I love that, that candor trumps charisma in wartime. I mean, it, it's not enough to only rally the troops. <laughs> there needs to be additional uh, work that's done outside of just get everybody on board. Yeah, um, I mean, we've been at this long enough now to know that this is hard. You know, we're see people are getting tired. They're starting to lose their, it's not all roses every day. And so if we act like it is and we just do rah, rah, sis, boom, bah stuff, it's not going to come across as authentic. So let's just go straight to candor. I want to take the pandemic out of, out of the equation for this particular question. I mean, you have been working with CMOs are in that marketing and growth executive role for the last 15 years. Can you talk a little bit about the shifts that you've seen and the demands of, if we're looking at specifically the CMO, how that role has changed over the years? And I know that, that this could be a whole interview in and of itself on this particular topic, but if you could boil down a couple of sort of key points that you think that the role has changed in certain ways uh, from when you started to where what you're seeing today? Yeah, uh, for sure. Oh, gosh. So especially in B2B and in tech. So since the audience here is primarily SaaS, this is particularly easy <laughs> to talk about in terms of how much has changed. When I first started doing marketing search work on behalf of you know enterprise technology companies 20 years ago, I got to tell you, it was it was product pushing. It wasn't sophisticated, customer oriented. It was product oriented. It was build the product, wrap some beautiful 
messaging around it and push it out there. And, and, and that wasn't that wasn't necessarily a slight on the marketers. It was a it was a slight on the value of marketing. But I think that between two phenomenon and those two phenomenon are consumerization and digitization. So digitization, you know, the technologies that marketers now have access to have empowered them to an unbelievable degree from predicting to understanding customers, uh, to, to predicting behaviors and, and being able to influence product development because they are better voices of the customer because of these technologies, understanding existing customers better, not just going after the right ones in the market. So uh, the, the, between data and, and, and technology, the marketer has uh, just exploded in his or her capability versus 20 years ago. Those things just weren't available uh, back then. And that empowerment has made all the difference. Consumerization has also made the difference. And and we don't necessarily use words like consumerization in B2B as much, but it's a fact. and, And every marketer in B2B knows it. The consumer now holds the power, the buyer, the user, whatever we want to call it. And because of that, Companies have to respond and move to adjust to their demand. If we don't adjust and get it right, showing up in the right place at the right time when they're ready, not the other way around, we are not long for this world. And so making the consumer the center of the universe versus the product has also empowered marketers. And so these two phenomenon has, have really driven marketing's impact in the last 20 years in enterprise technology and created unbelievable opportunity, not only to have the seat at the table that they didn't have 20 years ago, but also have the responsibility. So with that power comes that accountability. And that's both the good news and the bad. Yeah, I feel that the responsibility of the CMO has never been greater, as well as the demand of the role. And oftentimes it seems that is it's like a unicorn, right? We're looking for someone who understands the customer and the the ing that we talk about in the marketing, right? The discipline as well as being able to talk to the technology counterparts, understand, be the owner of and driver of all growth. I mean, it is a very demanding role. When is the right time for an organization to hire an executive search firm on the quest for a CMO? Oh, okay. So I, I have a very biased point of view on this. So I'm going to apologize, but I'll also be unashamed about it. I would say the answer is always. It's not about moment as much as it is about recognizing that in the in the world of marketing, but I would I would argue even beyond marketing. An executive search firm if really used effectively, if thought of in a way that is a strategic weapon, is is truly that. Executive search should not be seen as the afterthought if we don't get it right in our own network. Even though I know that Ken often comes to me that way, a new search might come to me because a client says, well, we've called everybody we know or we've reached out to a bunch of people on LinkedIn and nobody seems to be a fit. So now we're coming to you. 
I'm, that's fine. I appreciate that. But I would argue that you can come to me in that moment or you can come to me before that moment. But the value of what we do is the same. It's just a matter of truly harnessing and, you know, taking advantage of the, the value. I'm, I'm meaning the client. We're not just a, a place that you go in order to expand the universe of candidates, even though that is part of our value. You should think of executive search as the place you go to think differently or expand your mind on how you should think about your search in the first place. Why do I need that candidate? What is the goal I'm trying to achieve? Let's back into the answers on what that candidate should look like based on the goals. I approach every search, honestly, applying design thinking. And I don't know that most of my clients think that way when they're launching a search without an executive search partner. I just think what that ultimately turns into is um, an opportunity for that company to not just look at the candidates they thought they wanted, but also consider candidates that they didn't even know could be the right answer. And being able to consider all those options really gives that company an opportunity to expand and actually improve the goals that they had in mind in the first place. That applies to so many areas of life when you think about just expanding your search and getting out of what you think are your criteria. I mean, that that never fails to in real estate, right? It's like, well, it only can be in this little circle and have check these boxes. But if you just go out another mile, either way, right? All of a sudden yeah. you can find things you didn't even know were there, didn't even know existed or, you know, for a dating profile, you know, that he or she has to check all these boxes. But if you just opened your eyes a little bit to this type of person, then Absolutely. you find your match, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I'm not trying to suggest that when, when we make uh, placements, that it's never the candidate that our client expected to hire. I'm not suggesting that. Sure. But what I am suggesting is if I do my job well, the company that is doing the hiring should actually have a tough time making a decision and that that tough decision is coming to a head with a couple of candidates that they thought they'd like to see and a couple of candidates they never thought they'd like to see. Just give them great options to consider. That is truly my job. And that has to feel so good, Kate, when you when you do make that connection, right? And you know, you know in your heart of hearts that this candidate is going to be the best person to lead this charge at this company and work with this other team of people. What's been one of the most rewarding CMO roles that you've matched? Well, I, this one's very recent and, and it's front, front of mind. It's not a SaaS example. I'm sorry, but it's really timely. We worked with Masterclass, the CEO of Masterclass, to place the CMO there. And that experience was so rewarding for so many reasons, to tell you the truth. Right out of the gates, the search had been conducted for about eight months working with a different search partner before they came to us and said, I, I don't think we're getting this quite right. Would you work with us on this? And we did. And I, I think all it took was just a dash of creativity on where to look and uh, what, what to look for and not just kind of look at the obvious, so to speak. 
And ultimately, we landed with a candidate and the CMO that they chose has been a, an enormous success when uh, Saturday Night Live is doing a skit about you. <laughs> That's incredible. Kate, this has been awesome. Is there anything else that you want to tackle that we didn't have a chance to cover? Uh, just that I would say, let's stay strong. Uh, let's try to stay positive, particularly in the marketing community. I'd like to marketers, CMOs, the communicators, the brand holders in the in these organizations, be a voice of candor, yes, but also the voice of positivity. We're all we're all going to get through this. Well, on that note, do you have a signature or a favorite toast to send us out? Oh. <laughs> How about Shakespeare from Macbeth? I drink to the general joy of the table. Well, perfect. I will <laughs> drink to that. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Lindsay, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Kate for joining us on the show. If you want to try her Jollaback cocktail, we're talking vodka, pineapple, jalapeno. We're giving away a limited number of free cocktail kit store listeners delivered straight to your door. Yes, you heard that right. Simply plug in a code, you get booze delivered to your door. How easy is that? All you have to do is go to cocktailcourier.com slash sasshalffull and use promo code digital to claim a free cocktail kit. Again, that's cocktailcourier.com slash sasshalffull and use promo code digital. Appreciate the listen, guys. And until next time, bottoms up. <laughs>